All right, awesome. You can be seated, and uh, we've got one more Christmas song at the end of our time together. Thank you so much to the worship team, who's already been such a big part of things, as well as to Eric and all of you who have been a part of this. Well, we're starting a brand new teaching series, as you could probably imagine. As we get into uh, this particular season of the year, we are starting a message series entitled Joy to the World, When God Gives Us What We Need Most. And I want to just kind of share with you. I feel like there are so much in the Christmas story that you have read, I have read, and we've read so many times that we have forgotten to look a little deeper and look a little closer and see some of the things that are the underlying themes. And the truth of the matter is, is that one of the main underlying themes of the Christmas story is the theme of joy. You might not know that. Of course, you know the song, the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, but there is so much a mention of the word joy and rejoice in the things that are told to us in chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew and chapters 1 and 2 of Luke that I can't help but talk a little bit about the joy to the world that Jesus brought when he was born. And part of the reason that I wanted to share that and make that our theme that we are covering over the next couple of weeks is, to be honest... Man, 2020 has left us needing some joy. Can I get an amen? I mean, maybe in the chat y'all can say amen. Y'all know the truth of the matter is, is that this has been a rough year. Um, it's been hard. It's been difficult. And I kind of feel like this is how we felt when we were going into 2020. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. The, the bright colors in the 2020, you know, see things differently and all. Oh, we see it differently. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, we see it different. That's for sure. Um, you know, I was thinking about it. We never knew before 2020 that social distancing was a thing. We didn't even know what that meant, right? We've seen stock market swings, and we've seen stimulus checks, and we've seen social distancing. This was going to be our year of health. Instead, we got the year of COVID-19 that started off being known as coronavirus. Now it's COVID-19. I don't understand it. Began the year thinking we're going to be praying for prosperity. Instead, we're just praying for the approval of a vaccine, right? Amen? The truth is we thought we were going to add possessions to our collection of whatever it is that we collect. Now you have a collection of face masks. I had no idea. I'm literally thinking about asking for face masks for Christmas, and I think that's a real problem for me. All right, we thought we would get important family time in in 2020, and now we have spent way too much time with family, right? We, we thought that the problem was the teacher or the curriculum or the friends of our kids. Now that we are with our kids 24-7, you're the one who's telling everybody that's going to listen that those teachers need a raise. God bless them. They do the Lord's work. And uh, whatever you do, make sure that those teachers don't all quit because then I'm going to have to do it myself, Right? This is important things first that we wanted to see in 2020. We wanted to make sure that was important. What was important was kept first. Now we're suffering, suffering from a lack of clarity in almost every single area of our life, whether that's political, emotional, spiritual, financial, nothing just seems very clear. And you probably even experienced it in the holiday that's just passed. You had to decide whether or not you were going to go or not go, whether or not you were going to get together or not get together. And then you did go and you felt like an idiot because you came wearing a face mask and nobody else was. Or maybe if you were at the other side of the family, you came and everybody was wearing a face mask and you showed up without one. They thought you were the jerk. Uh, they, you finally gave in, took it off, and uh, all of them thought you were crazy because you couldn't make up your mind. Well, 
Welcome to 2020. Can I tell you, though, that 2020 is about four weeks away from being done. So that is a praise item. Can I get an amen, right? Amen. I mean, let it keep on moving. Uh, it's been bad. It's, it's been bad. I talked a little bit about this, about canceling Thanksgiving. I'm not going to go all into it, but, you know, this was out in uh, Chicago. Oh, my gosh, please make it stop 2020. Just stop. You, you had us a long time ago. You had our number. And then, I don't know if you guys have seen this shirt that they're actually selling on Amazon. They've made this into a shirt. 2020, one star, horrible, would not recommend. They've actually got t-shirts that you can buy. I don't know if y'all feel that way. I definitely would not recommend 2020 as the best. But as we kind of look at the history of what has happened in our recent year, but also as we look at what God was doing when he sent his son into the world, as crazy as it sounds, I see some similarities. Because the truth of the matter is, is that God had the world's attention as if never before. It's a crazy thing to think about, but the truth is, is that God's timing was perfect. Now, let me just be very clear. I speak about this almost every single year, so maybe this is news that's already been told to you. But from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Luke, and as a matter of fact, Luke chapter 1 is the very first thing that happens. It's the very first thing that actually occurs on the actual timeline. Uh, between Malachi chapter 4 and Luke chapter 1, there's about 400 years where, as best we can tell, God is just silent. And God is just quiet. He's not speaking. He's not talking. He's not even speaking and engaging with his own people. But as you know, and as I often do, the truth of the matter is, is that whenever somebody has talked and talked and talked and talked and said things over and over, one of the best things that you can possibly do is to stop talking because people begin to lean in and go, now what is he going to say? And that's exactly where the world was whenever God stopped talking. The truth is, is that God shut it down and people began to lean in and say, well, where's God in all of this? Let me ask you a question. Have you asked that question of yourself in 2020? Where is God in all of this craziness? I mean, I have to believe, I absolutely have to believe that God wants our attention still yet. I believe that he is allowing things to happen in this world. Not that it's a good thing, but there can be a silver lining. I hope and pray there's at least a few silver linings that we find. But I believe that one of them may be that we who have been so busy and had no need of God suddenly realize that we actually don't have it all figured out and that we truly do need God. And especially we as Christians ought to remember if ever before we had a year that we experienced, we ought to remember that this world is not our home. As the old hymn says, we're just passing through, that our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I don't know if any of y'all know that old hymn or not, but here is the truth. God has our attention in some ways whenever we are hurting and confused. And this is what's happening in the story of the Christmas story in its original and the main characters coming about. It's very much a time where God has their attention and they're listening for any small movement of God. 
And here's this very first thing to learn. We repeatedly see in the stories of the birth of Christ the joy that the event of Christ's birth actually brought about. Zechariah and Elizabeth, who I'm going to be speaking about today, the shepherds themselves who are told, you know, that don't, they don't need to be afraid, but instead they can give rejoicing and joy. And then the wise men, it says, they came into the house and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Joy to the world. It happened over and over in the Christmas story. And there's even more that I'm not even going to be preaching and teaching on. But you can go back and read if you choose to read Luke chapter 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 1 and 2. But today, you heard a little bit about this in the story of Zechariah. And I want to be very clear, we couldn't really go through the whole chapter. And there's more that's going on. And, and this angel Gabriel that appears to Zechariah tells him that they're going to have a child. And that is incredible news. Now, if you've ever been a person who struggled to conceive and have a child, you know that there, it's one of those things almost like air. If you don't have it, you desperately want it. Now, I will tell you that Shelly and I have been blessed and we did not have to look at each other too long to be able to conceive a child, it seemed like, right? It was very, very easy for us. But the truth of the matter is, is I've spoken to people who have struggled. And it's almost like something that you just simply take for granted unless it's not there. And then you look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, both very old. The Bible says they were both godly people who were upright and pleasing to God in all of their ways. And still yet, they had the stigma of not being a person who was able to, to have an heir or a child was not being born that had not been born into that home. And so the truth is, is that they were undergoing difficult days and they wanted something that they did not have. And at that moment, Gabriel comes and says, I've got great news for you. This is the New Texas version. I've got great news for you. Your wife is going to conceive. And Zechariah is like, yeah, right. I'm an old man and trust me, that womb is not exactly fertile ground right now. That woman is old. She's past her childbearing years. It's not going to happen. And, the, and then the angel Gabriel says to him, I stand in the presence of God. And here's what I know. I've seen it with my own eyes. Nothing is impossible for God. And so because you have doubted my word as I have appeared to you, I want you to know that your tongue is going to be kind of closed and your mouth is going to be closed and you will not be able to speak until the time is over. Zechariah comes out of the temple where he is serving on a rotation more than like, let's go ahead and go to this second something to learn very quickly. If we can jump there. Zechariah was from the priestly tribe of Aaron. Likely there were other men who were there serving, offering prayers and sacrifices by the Lord before the Lord. But as Zechariah served, he did encounter that angel. He leaves that place in the temple, and he goes out and he's making motions and directions and he's trying to speak and communicate. But it's almost like I have it in my head, and maybe this is not perfect, but you can almost see him, you know, doing this where he's making the motions with his mouth and his hands and he's doing everything but actually speaking, but he's trying his very best. They realize that he's seen an angel and that God has spoken to him. In the process, his wife, Elizabeth, who is well past childbearing years, who happens to be the cousin of a little girl named Mary, who's going to figure pretty prominently, dun, 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 foreshadowing y'all. Here is what's going on. Mary will be Elizabeth's cousin. 
John the Baptist, who is about to be born and shatter the silence of God for all of these years, is predicted to come. And in the midst of it all, the angel says, he's going to be a joy to you. He is going to be a joy to you. Let's go there and let's look at the joy that they, is predicted for Zechariah. When Zechariah saw him, that's the angel, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will, what? Rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I'm sure he went home and tried to communicate somehow. And the Bible tells us later on in the story that he's able to write down things on a tablet of some sort. you know. And so he is able to communicate, but not with his mouth. Elizabeth conceives, finally gives birth. And so for nine full months, uh, Zechariah is unable to speak. But then... They come to the time where they bring the child in. They circumcise the child as all young Jewish boys were circumcised. And that day is the day that they traditionally would name him. Usually spoken over him in a prophetic way by his father. But there's a slight problem. Y'all know what it is, right? Father can't talk right now. And so Elizabeth speaks up and says, his name is to be John. And all of her friends who know better say, wait, 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 hold on, you can't do that. You can't do that because none of the people in your family have that name. How disrespectful, how rude of you to name somebody something different than those in your family. And so they look and they say, surely Zachariah will talk some sense into her. And so Zachariah gets the pencil and he writes down on that writing tablet and he says, his name is John, I get a little emotional here because this to me reminds me that no child comes into this world without the knowledge of God in his or her life. You've probably even said, I was an accident or my child was an accident. Maybe to you, never, ever, ever to God. Never to God, because God knew. And when he wrote down the word, his name is John, it wasn't like, let's decide to call him John. No, no, God has already proclaimed and ordained his name is going to be John. And he is going to be great in the sight of God. And everybody is going to be blessed by this young man's life before he ever even took a breath that's been prophesied by, about him. Isn't that a beautiful reminder that God has a purpose for every single life in this world? It's so good. And even looking at Elizabeth and noticing her joy, this is a really cool story that before she gives birth, before she even gives birth, she's visited by her cousin Mary. And I've condensed it down, but she says to Mary, she says, why am I so favored? This is the old lady talking to the 14-year-old girl, give or take, right? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come into my house? But as soon as the sound of your greeting to me reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for what? Joy. 
God is at work in the things that are going on in this little bitty dusty town on the backside of nowhere that nobody's paying attention to. And God is interrupting human history once more and saying, I'm not done with you. The end of the story has not yet been written. There is still yet more to come. There's still that is yet to be prophesied and to be fulfilled. And it is a beautiful thing. And if you cannot find joy in the fact that God is the great redeemer who has written redemption story all throughout history, I want to remind you that 2020 ain't no big deal when you're God. He can handle it. And the question is whether or not we're going to hang in there and watch what he's doing and accomplishing, or if we're going to pull the ripcord and eject and say, God's taking his hands off. I'm here to remind you and to encourage you that God has not taken his hands off human history. He is up to something And I don't know what the long-term ramifications will be from 2020, but I believe that God is still in control. And I believe even further that God is still accomplishing his purposes here in our world. If you agree, can I say, can you say amen? Amen. God is still at work. And don't miss this. I want you to not miss this very quickly. Happiness is rooted in self, but joy is always rooted in the Savior, It's so important that you grasp. If you chase happiness, you will never, ever, ever find joy. And so the truth of the matter is, is that for many of us in our modern world, we've heard it so much that it doesn't even perk our ears up. But the truth is, is that there are people that are searching for joy, uh, for searching for long-lasting happiness, but they put self at the center. They say, well, this is where all the things kind of need to focus, and I think that's my spot, right? And so they sit and they say, let it all make me happy. And in the process of all of this story, where joy is mentioned over and over and over and over again, almost every single time it's mentioned, it's interesting because they're fearful and they're startled and they're afraid. As the King James Version says about the shepherds, they are sore afraid. That means, man, they were really scared, right? And so they're scared But then they turn from self and the fear that comes along with it to focus on the Savior instead. And in the process, they rejoice with exceeding great joy. Now, I want you to hear this. Joy to the world can never start and end with you. If you make you the spot Right here, where it's all supposed to be coming, I just want to be happy, I just want to be happy. That means I got this, and I got that, and these people do these things, and this happens for me, and I own these things, and I live in this spot, and you know, I dress in this way, and I have you know, power over these people, and all of this long list of stuff that all concerns just about me. I have missed the point, and the bad news is that you have absolutely turned yourself 180 degrees from where you can actually find something that lasts. It's called joy, and it has nothing to do with you being the center of it all. It's the centering on the Savior that is when joy finds us. But if we pursue happiness, we will lose out and miss it every single time. So I'm here to tell you that as we begin and as we start talking about joy to the world, that means this spot, this spot is his and his alone. 
And even when he was the child, the the child who would be king of kings and lord of lords, the infant baby who was in the manger, he had to be at the very center of it all. And if he was not, then everybody who was pursuing that happiness would have it for a little bit and then it would be fleeting. And it just goes away. Let Let me give you an example. Have you ever had this experience where you have been building up and building up and you can't wait. It's going to be awesome. And I remember when my kids were still living at home and they would come and they would be in our home. We'd love it. It would just be so fantastic. And they'd come along and everybody would have so many gifts to open. And so we'd all get around together and we'd, you know, yes, I regret it. But one particular year, my wife got pajama pants that the entire family matched in please don't hate me please forgive me men i swear i do have testosterone testosterone still flowing in this body it's just really weak that particular day okay but pray for me so all of us are all hanging out at the christmas tree we're chilling we're enjoying ourselves we're opening our presents we're telling each other that we love each other it's just a great time it's like a a great high and then we kind of look around and it's like there's a lot of tissue paper and gift bags and wrapping paper on the floor and then there's just kind of this moment that sets in and you're just kind of like it's a long build-up for just a short payoff and then you kind of look around and go huh surely there's got to be more than this that that's what I'm saying yeah I'm happy in that moment But then there's got to be more because happiness comes and goes and joy stays and abides. And that is the difference. If you want something that will make you feel good in the brief moment, you can find it. You can buy it even. You can enjoy it. You can experience it. You can consume it. You can purchase it. You can give it away even. It's happiness in the moment. But the one thing that you cannot duplicate and you cannot find strictly when it's all about you is the joy that abides and never goes away. The joy to the world that he came to bring is still available, but he has to be the one who gets the throne And it can never be you, and it can never be me. At the end of the Old Testament, and as the New Testament begins, Elijah is spoken of. He's spoken of in the end of Malachi and the beginning of Luke. Those two things that happen side by side on the actual timeline of human history when God is intervening. And he says in Malachi chapter 4, the second to last verse of the Old Testament, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And in Luke chapter 117, the angel speaking to Zechariah, and he says, This is the the prophecy about your young man that he's going to be born and he's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of righteous and to make people ready, a people prepared for the Lord. He's going to do all these things. He's going to fulfill his promise to humankind. It's going to happen, and your son is going to be the one who does it. You know what Zachariah's (laughs) response was? Get out of here. Come on now. My son? I mean, I'm just a normal person. I'm just a normal, regular person. This is the beauty of the Christmas story, that God takes regular people and makes them incredibly valuable and important because they play a part 
in the redemptive history of all of mankind. There was no one special that God said, you know what, they're so special, i got to have them on my team. The difference instead for us would be, yeah, we got to choose the best. God just chose normal everyday people and then turned them through his power into the vessels that he needed. So the truth of the matter is, is that if you want to see something happening in your world, you don't need to be perfect. You need to be available. That's it. And for most of us, we're so busy telling God why we're not qualified that we cease to be available. The truth is, is that we are able to see something great in our world if we will give ourselves over to God. But, you know, most of the time we believe that God's promises are for somebody else, not for people like us. Uh, That happens for other people, but not for people like me. I'm just a normal, everyday guy, just like Zachariah. Come on. No, not for me. And besides, Elizabeth's too old to have kids anyway. No, it's not our time. It's not our turn. And that's not our place. And God said, what is impossible with man is always possible with God. Here we come to the big idea. This is where Zechariah has this disconnect. It is this. If we can trust that God has promised something, then we can also trust that God has a process and he's going to bring it about. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? In other words, if he's already set the destination, he already knows the directions to get there. And we don't, but if we trust him for the destination, we got to be very careful that we don't cease to trust him in the middle of the directions. Now, how many of you had to use the GPS going to your in-laws or family members or any any of y'all have to use the GPS? It's funny, I had to use the GPS. I always go to Arkansas, we have a family reunion. And if you've ever tried to travel towards Arkansas from here in Houston, there's no straight shot. There just is not a straight shot. It's, it's this little highway with this little back road, turn on FM. I saw FM1. I think I, th- I, think I saw FM1. I know I saw FM8. And like we're on 1464, so there's a lot of other FMs, but I saw the low, the low number FMs. Saw a couple of county roads that I didn't even know what county I was in. And I'm traveling And it's interesting because as I look on my iPhone and I pull it up and I'd search for it, it's got three different directions. And one says the fastest and one says the simplest, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then they have another one that has tolls, right? And so it's interesting thing. It's like, I'm going to get you to that destination, but these are the different ways that you can get there. If we can trust God to get us to the destination, here's what I want to tell you. We can trust him to choose the best route for us, for his purposes to be accomplished. Those are the things that he chooses. And for most of us, we're good with the destination because God has a tendency to do great things in the lives of his people. But the struggle is, is in the middle of it all, you look around and go, "Mm, I don't know about this anymore. (laughs) Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I thought I heard God, but maybe I was wrong. Here is the truth for us. If we can trust God for the destination, then we can trust him for the directions on how to get there. We can trust him for that uh, promise. We can trust him for the process of getting us there. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, the struggle 
is the process, not the promise. It's going through the back roads and the twists and turns and the stoplights that take too long, you know, when you're ready to keep moving, but there's still a red light keeping you there. I'm talking about life, not talking about coming to my grandmother's house, right? You understand what I'm saying, right? How many of you have been there? Let me see your hands. Have you ever been there where you've been in the process of going where God is leading you, but you know there's too many stops and too many difficulties, and surely it's not God's will anymore. It just got off the wrong path somehow. Well, God is still at work, and if you can trust him for the promise, you can trust him for the process that gets you there. Very quickly... Let's talk about the unexpected versus the expected in the Christmas story. They expected the silence to break and for God to speak up. Instead, they got six more months, nine more months of silence. They expected that a king would rise, but instead a baby got born. They expected a powerful family heir to come on the scene. Instead, they got parents from the lower class. They expected nobility to notice when God interrupted human history, but instead it was a humble stable and the outcast class that was around. And then they expected a magic bullet. God's going to fix it all in a moment. But instead, it was a scandalous virgin birth that was done. And God's purpose was being fulfilled in something that felt wrong and yet was actually totally pure. It's a funny thing, isn't it? For most of us, we think that God's got to do it all, that he's going to figure it all out. But the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of times in his word, he says, You have your part to play and I will lead you. You stand and you go and you do and you participate. And when you have been washed in the pool of Siloam that I am sending you to, that's when you will begin to see. And you go and visit the high priest. And as you go, that's when your leprosy will be healed. There is an obedience that has to take place in God's people that often does not happen because we're just like, well, I don't know. I'm just waiting on God. And God does not take our disobedience and our laziness sitting down and saying, no, it's no big deal. He said, no, I'm Gabriel. I'm from the presence of God. I've told you these things. And since you do not believe, nine months you will be quiet and silent. And so nine months come and go. He writes on the paper, his name is John. And at that moment, his tongue is loosed. And he begins to praise and sing and glorify God at all that God is doing. And everybody has seen him for nine months not be able to say a word. And suddenly they begin to wonder and have amazement that God is at work. Now let me ask you a really serious question. And I want you to think about this for a moment. How would you feel if you were Zechariah? If you were the one asked to be totally quiet and silent for nine full months, but knowing at the end of that nine months, God would have other people's attention as if never before. Would you? Would you go ahead and sign on that dotted line? And I want you to ask yourself the question for Mary when he said, you have not been with any man. You're pure, but I am going to put a baby inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that baby is born, you will be the virgin birth that was predicted in the book of Isaiah. This will happen for you. But just think about all the ramifications that ripple out from that decision. 
And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me as you have spoken. You see, the struggle that I have personally as a modern Christian, and maybe you can identify, is I want God to meet me on my terms, and I want God to bless me, and I have very little tolerance for any pain which puts me out and yet accomplishes God's purposes. I'm looking for the exits. I'm looking for the eject button. And the truth is, is that probably... In the Christmas story, we see so many people whose entire course of life has changed, but then they find joy. Whose entire course of life has changed, but then God receives glory as never before. This is a story that we will be talking about for the next month that we've talked about for the last X number of years, all of my life, all of your life. Church after church after church after church will be celebrating. The whole world changes in December because some of God's people were willing to put themselves fully on the line and give up what they wanted and said, Thy will be done. May it be unto me as you have spoken, not as I had hoped. Just doesn't happen very much anymore, does it? Not with me. Okay, it's just me. I'm sure it's just me. But the truth of the matter is, is that I have a thought in my head. I've got it figured out. This is how God's going to do it. And this is how we ought to do it. And God says, no, no, no. Just trust me for the promise. I'll take care of the process. I'll take care of the directions on there. You just know that the destination is going to be something that brings me glory. Hard for us to do and hard for us to accept. Very quickly, I don't know if you guys have ever seen. How many of you guys have ever seen one of these? Do y'all know what this is? Yes. If you know what this is, if you've seen one of these, if you've literally held one of these in your hands, I've got bad news. You're old. All right? You're old. I'm sorry. Yes, the new ones exist, but they're made of hemp and sandalwood, gently brushed, you know, like really nice. They sound like something you want to eat, right? This is just the old plastic crappy things that we had to deal with when we were dealing with our children. I'm jealous of the toys that the kids have these days. I'm sorry. You know, the toys that like you can like put them in a remote control car and drive them down the road. Like it's better than my car when I was 16. I'm not going to lie. You know what I'm talking about. I'm jealous a little bit of the toys. This is the crappy old thing and you had to learn your shapes, and if you tried to put certain shapes in certain spots where they just didn't go, you were trying to force a round peg into a square hole. That's the old way we used to say it, right? Well, most of us as Christians, we're trying to force our plan to be the thing that brings God glory. He says, well, you know, I kind of had another idea. <laughs> the bad news is, is that you might be silent for nine months, but the great news is, is that my purpose will be accomplished and I'll have people's ideas turn towards me instead of themselves. And I'll have their attention because the silence of God has been broken for a brief moment and then there's more silence, but now there's rejoicing. They will listen because of what you will endure. Are you in? And Zacharias says, his name is John. I am submitting not to what people want, but what God has directed.
So I don't know what 2020 has been like for you. Maybe 2020 has been a reminder for you that there's still some work going on in your life and that God is still, for lack of a better word, (laughs) knocking off some of the edges and he's using power tools. I mean, it's not gentle. It's not gently rubbing the, the, the edge. It's whack, whack, you know, that kind of shaping going on. And I prefer the gentle oilcloth rub versus the hammer and chisel. But truth be told is sometimes I want that, but I can only benefit from the hammer and the chisel. Zechariah is told, you will be silent because you thought that you knew better than God what God's plan was. And so because of this, you will have another opportunity to rise to the occasion, but it's going to happen, and it will happen nine months later. I don't know about you, but anytime I go on a long trip, I'm reminded how much I hate to wait in the same spot for a long time. Have any of you guys ever gotten caught in a traffic jam when you're on like a 10-hour trip? And you're just like, Lord, how could you let this happen? I mean, I've got a 10-hour trip that just became an 11-hour trip. Please let me out of this spot. Whenever you have a lot of work to do in your character, the oilcloth is definitely much more comfortable. But that means that you are stuck in the same place for a very, very long time. As God changes your character, develops characteristics in you, develops submission in you. And this hurts a whole lot more, but the, the results are much more dramatic and much more powerful in the end for God's purposes. Very quickly, I want to talk about in you and me, how can we find joy? And I am going to be moving quickly here. We find joy when we focus on God's work. And that's what I've been talking about. This is the passage of scripture from Luke chapter 1, verse 65. Yeah, that's not a misprint. There's a lot of verses in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. All the neighbors were filled with awe. Throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Yes, it was a chisel and hammer moment, but everybody heard the ringing and everybody came running to see what God was up to. You focus on God's work, you begin to see things differently. Very quickly, uh, let's move to this next slide, and I want to just share this with you. Joy is not an emotion, joy is a choice. If that sounds familiar, I shared it with you last week, talking about gratitude, right? I told you gratitude is a choice, not an emotion. And the truth is, is that joy is the same way. But let's go back to that one for just a quick second. I got one more thing to remind you of, that joy is also a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and it goes on and on and tells all the fruits of the Spirit. Here's the truth. You might not have the gift of certain things that God has given as a gift of the Spirit, but all of us as His people should display all of the fruits of the Spirit, not just the ones that come easy to us. And so if you say, you know what, Randy, I'm just not really a big joyful person. I'm just not really into smiling a lot. I do have a face that just reminds people that uh, I'm not enjoying life at all. But on the inside, I am. Well, I'm here to tell you, 
If there's no evidence of joy in your life, check yourself. Because the truth is, is that the Spirit, the more that you allow Him to move in your heart, the more that joy begins to flow outward from you. It's not something that you actually have to manufacture. It's something that you're the conduit for. The joy of the Lord is your strength as well. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You can look at that from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Very quickly, as we keep moving, Chuck Swindoll said something so powerful. And I, I, wrote, it, I wrote it down, and yes, I probably printed it up in 20-point type, but I'm going to just make sure. Here's what he says. He says, I believe the single most important significant decision that I can make on a day-to-day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past. It's more important than my education. It's more important than my bankroll, my successes or my failures, my fame or my pain. It's more important than what other people think of me, say about me, more important than my circumstances or my position. Attitude keeps me going or it cripples my progress. Attitude alone fuels my fire or it assaults my hope. When my attitudes are right, there is no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, and no challenge too great for me. Words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude towards the quality of our life. And he says this, the longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to it. If you don't believe that, you can take it up with Chuck Swindoll, but I think it is a powerful thing to consider and think about. Very quickly, let's go on to how we find joy. The second way uh, that we find joy, slide number 21, we focus on God's timing. And this is where his name is John is written on the tablet. And here's what I would remind you of. If you're going through a difficult and dark valley, remember that that is not the destination that you are in a process of passing through. In the moment, it feels like it will go on forever, but in retrospect, it will be over soon. I don't know if you feel the same way as I do. December is going to be here in like two days. It feels like it's snuck up on me. I kind of feel stuck in June. I've told you guys that before. But this year, in some ways, has kind of surprised me. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I guess God did bring us through the craziness and the, all the things that were going on in the time that felt like they would never change and never be different. And yet here we are, just a handful of days away from being done with this year and starting a new one. Now, it doesn't mean all the problems go away, but it does mean that things that seem like they will last forever never actually do last forever. And can I just say something? Be careful that you don't throw in the towel in a season of life that you are having a difficult time getting through because most of the time you look back with regret rather than look back and say, I made a great decision. Most of the time in the midst of difficulty, you don't want to make the big decisions in life. Quickly, finding joy, this third thing is this. It says we need to focus on God's training. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord, and it's so important that you know this, and I want you to make sure and hear this. If you have heard what Mary says to Gabriel, and it is, by the way, the same exact angel. I'm going to have them put up the next slide, and if you look there, he says, you know, there says the same exact angel speaks to Mary, and she says, how can I be sure of this? And guess what? 
Zechariah basically said, well, how can I be sure of this? It's one who is different, not very much from the other. The older man, the priest, says, how can I be sure? The young woman says, well, how can I be sure? One is punished and one is given just the clarity that she needs. Why is that? Can I just get real serious with you and real flat with you and real blunt with you? For some of you, God's been trying to get your attention to change you for years, maybe even decades. And the truth of the matter is, is that you've been totally comfortable going back and repeating and going back and repeating and going back and repeating and not growing beyond that place that God has not allowed you to leave because you still haven't learned the lesson. I can't tell you what that is for each one of you, but I can tell you this. The God who has you on that circle and on that conveyor belt and brings you back to the same point gives you the opportunity But it does not mean that each time you fail the test, the only problem is wasted time. Zechariah loses his ability to speak because he does not believe. He's a man who has probably been following the Lord for decades. Mary's barely been alive for a decade. But God says through his angel to Zechariah, you know better. You've seen me work. You've seen what I can do, and you still fail to believe. Enough is enough. I don't want to scare you. I'm not trying to frighten you, but I need to be honest with you. The truth of the matter is, is that for some of you, you have been on a childish path in your spiritual life and continue on that and have not changed and have not been that worried that things need to change. But I'm here to tell you this is a gentle reminder in the Christmas story that God only puts up with the foolishness for so long and eventually we have to deal with the consequences of our own foolishness and our own lack of focus on our spiritual life. It is always easier to do it the first time and learn the lesson the first time than it is to deal with it over and over and over again. Very quickly, this one to remember is the angel says to them, do not be afraid because I'm bringing you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. It's joy to the world, and it is your opportunity and mine to embrace what God is doing and what he has done. Here's the question that you have. If, By the way, the one to remember is, if you're interested in learning and remembering scriptures and reciting and memorizing scriptures, there's one for you just for this particular year, uh, this entire December. Go back and see this. Don't be afraid. Instead, I have good news that's going to bring great joy to you. Here's the big question I want to ask, and we're wrapping this up very quickly. Have you noticed that you are missing the joy of Christmas? If so, ask yourself, why? What has been my focus? Why has my focus been somewhere other than the Savior? Has it been instead on self? I think you applied this message in this way. You decide that you need to make a sacrifice of time or talent or treasure, or if the Lord is speaking to you, and you know that it is him, and you can hear him two out of the three or three out of the three, where you actually sacrifice something to 
benefit him and his kingdom. You make that sacrifice instead of saying, well, you know, I'll try to do these little things where I can. No, the way that God's movement works and the way that God looks for obedience in his people is those who are willing to say, be it unto me as you have asked for me to do, not the way that I choose to do. Very quickly, this title slide, I, I want to put it up very quickly, and we're about to, to close. Joy to the world is the, the theme, but then the subtitle is, When God Gives Us What We Need Most. The reason I put that down is because I think it's so important for us to grasp that ultimately, it is about what God knows we need rather than us dictating to him. The truth is, is that God is at work and what he wants me to do is what I need to fulfill, not to tell him and to dictate to him, let's do something different. I've got a different idea. The truth is, is he calls me to be faithful and available. And he has promised that in the midst of it all, he will give me not what I want most, but what I actually need the most. He did it back when he let his son come from heaven and be born here in this world. Here is what we know. I wanted to show this to you. I've quoted it before, but it is so powerful. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. Or if our greatest need had been pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But because our greatest need as humankind was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. This time of year is all about celebrating that Savior. Don't lose sight of it. Don't let your focus go somewhere else. If you want to experience joy then draw in close to the Savior and find Him to be the one who provides joy to the entire world and definitely to you and to me. Heavenly Father, as we end our time together, I pray that you would be with us and draw us close to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.